So, uh, our message is called Rise Up and Walk. It has a dual meaning. Uh, one, it's about a remarkable healing event that it catapulted the church into uncharted waters. And it's recorded in Acts 3. But the other part of it is, is that I want to suggest that it's an invitation that the Lord makes to all of us to rise up and walk. And so uh, it, look at verse 1. And if you have your Bibles, your Bible app, or you can just follow in the handout, whatever works right now. But in Acts 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And it was about the ninth hour. So that means it was 3 p.m. In, in their day, that's what you would have called it. So it's 3 in the afternoon when this happens. And two things we're, we note as well, and you may see it. But in that first verse, we're told a few things. One, we're told that they were together. Peter and John were together. They were, they were brothers. And both, it would seem, were in, a, in the process of transformation. They were becoming something together. And they were on their way to pray in the Lord's house. They, had, they were on their way to church, just like we're, we, they've come. They came, they were coming to church. They were coming to seek the things of God and to pray, just like what we're doing right now. You know how big, a big of a deal this is? To come together in the Lord's house, to make a choice to gather, to express your love for him, to be open to who God is, be listening for his words within the word for our lives, listening to our lives, what the Lord might want to say to us. You know how right it is to come to the Lord's house together like we're doing right now? That's what they were on their way. And one, you know, one thing about it is we look at the two men, Peter and John. Peter had always been impetuous and headstrong. But he was also unreliable. It was a character flaw. In times of, of great intensity, he, he could not be relied on. And now he was, at this point, learning restraint and timing and how to be a man submitted to, to Christ. And so he was in process of transformation. John also was becoming a different kind of man. He had always, if you look at the scriptures, you'll see it. He had a temper. I mean, Jesus, John and his brother, James, were actually given nicknames by Jesus. They were called the sons of thunder because they had a, they had a temper, both these brothers. The sons of Zebedee had a temper, and John had one, and it, was, it had a violent side to it. And now John is learning self-control and how to allow the love of Jesus to fully define him as a man. And over time, what's amazing is that over time, his temper and his anger would be so transformed that he would actually later become known as what? The apostle of love. And if you read the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John's gospel stands out uniquely as capturing the love of God. And his epistles, the three of which are right there before the book of Revelation at the end of the New Testament, those, they're characterized by the love of God. I mean, it was an amazing transformation in this man, and it's very revealing. And I want to just stick something up. I know a lot of us, many of us, we take notes, we think about what we're sharing in the Word together when we come to the Lord's house, and we sit with it during the week as well. So one of the things I want to put up real fast, and just to make it very clear what I believe, and what, is, what I think we're being told here, is that God is a transformer. And we ought not to underestimate how he can improve certain aspects of our personality and break us free of things. Even things that we have had deeply ingrained into us from our upbringing or ways of being that we have been living out for now decades of our lives. That God is able to transform areas of our lives and take what has been weaknesses 
and actually turn them remarkably into places of strength, profound, sacred places where we can testify to the, to the, the overwhelming, um, amazing, transformative work of the Lord. It's what he does. You know, regardless of our background, again, in our upbringing, no matter how, how set in place we may think certain things are, some things are like grooves inside of us. They're so, they're so deep, deeply there that when the right button is pushed, it comes out of us. We, we fold like Peter did, right? We just, we, it's just, they're so deeply in there. And even when we're trying, every now and then, it, we're reminded of it, right? It's like it comes out when we're unguarded. And so um, I've, I've talked about this over the years, and I'm going to ask you to just sort of indulge me a bit on this. It's Father's Day. Over the years, some of you have heard me share um, about my father. And if you have, I know some of us are newer, but some of us have been coming for a little while, and you would have known and heard me share about how, what a difficult and painful relationship I had with my dad, how hard that was for me, and my brother, my only brother. Um, my grandfather, though, um, I had a different kind of relationship with him. And when I say my grandfather, it was my, fa it was my father's father who I ended up having a most beautiful relationship with. So my own father, it was a t very difficult relationship. But, my, but his father, my grandfather, ended up being coming my, the, my father in the faith and, this, and the most singular important man in my life. He was the founding pastor of the church. We didn't become Cornerstone till 1989, but in 1988, he, he literally um, had me become the pastor. I was 25 years old. He died that year. That was also the year my firstborn, our firstborn son was born, Caleb. It was a significant year. But I look back on that time, and uh, he was the one who had, had groomed me and appointed me to lead. And, and, and again, um, he, you know what was interesting, too? Just a reminder. I was thinking about the, most, the impact he ha had on my life. And his most impactful decade of his life was in his 70s. Some of us may, for, may, may think that our best years are behind us, but I look back on his life and I assess it and I say, the most impactful years of his life occurred in his 70s. And so we ought not to underestimate what God can do and wants to do through us. But I say all that because I want to suggest that he, he was a man, the kind of man he was. Uh, he was only a pastor, of a, he, he was a pastor of a small church for his entire life. He was a bivocational pastor who drove a muni bus part-time. Uh, by the time, like I said, I had come along, they had already sort of, and you've heard this, some of you have gone through our entry point into the church, our community called The Journey, you would have heard some of this. But he was an amazing man, um, the man that I came to know in my teens, who filled such a huge void in my life, was a man of energetic vigor, of, of relentless and steadfast love for God. And he was, as I reflect back on it, an essentially happy man, with, um, though unlettered, no, he was an unlettered man, but he, he was, and, and he was rough on the edges as well, but he, and he, but he was a man of quick wit, and uh, I loved him deeply. I loved watching him pray. He taught me how to pray. He taught me how to love God. I mean, you can't, what better gift can you give, right? So I look back on that, and I say, what a wonderful, what a wonderful person, what a wonderful gift he was to me. I didn't have him that long. By the time I was 25, he was gone. He left this world, went to be with the Lord. And I know he knew he was dying. 
when, when, he had, when we had some of our last exchange, but he got to touch my son, right? It was a gift. But my dad, his son, for so many reasons, he was not a happy man. He was an unhappy man. And I came to see him as a man in pain. Uh, as I reflected on this last week, I was hit with this reality. It was actually a reality I could not shake. Even after all these years, I look back down the corridor of time and I, I could not recall any, at any time in my life seeing him truly joyful. And in the end, before he died, uh, we were able to pray with him to confirm his faith in Christ, and that was a gift, and I'm extraordinarily grateful for that. And long before that moment, because of Jesus at work in my life, I forgave him for the wounds this wounded man inflicted upon me and my brother. But you know, I've said this many times, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. That's not an excuse. It's just an explanation. But now, as a man about a decade away from the age when he left, when my dad died, I've come to realize so much of his way of being was connected to his unhealed pain and wound. He was prone to depression, and he could flash a temper with a violent outburst. He was so easily triggered, and, I, and, I, and, a, and a relatively minor infraction could set him off, right? And as a result, you never felt truly secure, because you didn't know what would trigger it. And you live in that, that's an element of dysfunction there, right? And I remember the first decade of my life, until, until around 12 years old, I mean, it was filled with some, some things that were steady and, and good, and, and there were some real positives, but there was also this kind of unpredictable tumult that could occur at any moment. And it was just there as a part of life. And it, and it really did affect our relationship in a dramatic way. Um, not so coincidentally, and what I'm trying to really get at here, is that when I was a boy, and as I grew into my teen years, I had the same kind of, so he didn't beat me down, it just made me angry. And I had the same kind of anger and temper in me. And it was a flaw, it was a character flaw. But what happened was, as I grew in Christ and became a father, it started to lose its grip on me. And I've had parenting flaws and pastoring flaws. There's no question about that. But that ended up not being one of them. And that was, listen to me, a direct result of the Lord and his transforming touch at work in my life. In Christ, some things are shaken gradually. We stick with the Lord over time. Remember we talked about it a couple weeks back? Chisels, chisels us out. A little piece here. I'm a different person over time. I'm transformed in Christ. I start to take on a more of a look of Jesus. It's not perfect, but I'm starting to get better. Even old stuff, I'm seeing it push. It's getting dropped, right? The baggage, leaving some of it behind me. But there are other things that we, they stick with us for a long time. They may never, ever actually leave. And, we call, and they, may, they may always be a reminder of our need for grace. It's like, even though we're better, even though we've come to know Jesus, we still, it's like, this thing sits with me. I can't quite, why don't you take it away from me, God? Just what Paul said with his thorn in the flesh. And the Lord said, I want you to understand my grace always. 
will keep you especially there. But then there are also other things where when the Lord comes into our life, they literally fall off of us like skin that's being shed and something completely new emerges out of it. And it's like, God, this is a miracle of you at work in my life. In other words, it's not such a gradual thing. I mean, it happens in a relatively short time, a transforming touch of the power of Christ. And we become a different person in a way that we weren't like before. And I see this all the time. And, and we ought not to underestimate the new things that God can do and how he can lead us into new ways of being. And that is true at any decade of our life. We are to be, in G, when you sign on for Jesus, you sign on to be a growing person to the end of your day. We sign on for the adventure of faith. And it's about growth and, op, and new possibilities. It's about learning and adapting and adjusting and becoming better. It's not a life of passivity. It's a life of being open to the new things that God wants to do and not allowing ourselves to get bitter and get stuck, but allowing God to keep working new things in us. And I've seen it with my own eyes. That's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be like that. Now, going back to what we mentioned earlier, what else did you see in that verse, that first verse? They were together, right? They weren't alone. You know Peter's failure? Some of you remember this. Peter's failure... (laughs) It, it, had, it, had, it had come when he was alone. You remember it, right? It was on the night of the betrayal. Peter, who had been so fiercely, you know, he loved Jesus. He was a, a strong man. He had leadership in him. And he had told the Lord that even though everybody will fail you, everyone let you down, I will not fail you, right? He knew that. He believed that. But on that night, the way things went, it's just like his strengths were neutralized. And all of a sudden, there was, there was a ton of spiritual warfare going on. And then just something hit him in a way that he didn't have a defense system for it. And that powerful man who would have taken a sword and fought to defend Jesus, when the, when the words started coming after him and the peer pressure started setting in and he wasn't as sure anymore, he started to cave. And he didn't just cave once, he caved twice, he caved three times. And by the time he was done, the thing that he had valued most loyalty he had violated at the deepest and most profound level and it crushed him it crushed him it says that he went out and he wept bitterly and what we are told is this some and there's this empty space but somewhere along the way either John found Peter or Peter found John we don't know how or who and in what way it happened but the next time we see them they're together And it was a beautiful thing because you know why? Most of our failures, when they occur, they occur when we're alone. You think about that. And so we're reminded of something, and here it is. We're reminded of the value, listen, loved ones, the value of fellowship and mutual accountability as a rising mechanism. Do we understand this? We are better together. If you've been listening to my Rise and Shines, or The Rise and Shines, <laughs> a shameless push for these, because The Rise and Shines are the morning devotionals, the video devotionals that we give to everyone who wants them, especially for our church community, but not exclusively, to stay connected with about a minute and a half in which we just encourage one another, building off of usually the theme of the week and trying to give ourselves something to gain strength around that keeps us connected in community. What a wonderful thing that is. And the rise and shines, if you've, you've been noticing, one of our themes has been how we're better together. That's such a good thing. 
you got to smile at me. And then you got to smile at one another and say to them, hey, you know what? We're better together. I need you to do it. Go for it. Say it. We're better together. Come on. Better together. Yes, we are. And not only does that bring out the best in us, but it, it, it provides us a place of safety in our hour of trouble. And it was the way that the master had taught them. And again, I go back to Peter and John. I don't know who found who after Peter's failure. But a deepening of friendship was quite possible, exactly what occurred there. You gotta understand this. Up until this point, Peter and John had kind of been rivals. They were always vying for who was gonna get the, the Lord's you know, greatest favor. It's a sub-theme, you read about it. Even, and you know what, it shows up even on the night of his betrayal. They're all kind of jockeying for a position. That's when Jesus does the big, the big teaching moment and gets on his, puts a towel around him and gets onto his knees and starts washing their feet like a servant. But they were all trying to see who was going to sit where. Who was the greatest? There was discussion. Who's the greatest among them? Who does Jesus love the best? They wanted their mentor to approve them. They wanted that blood. And then you get this impression there's a bit of a rivalry there. And now it's just gone, right? It's, you see this beautiful, one on the other side of this disaster in Peter's life, you know, weeks started passing. Uh, Jesus rose. Uh, the Holy Spirit had come. We've looked at that. The day of Pentecost, an amazing message Peter gives. The birth of the church occurs. And it was destined to change the whole world. It's changed us right now. But now as we come to Acts 3, they, the two of them, are on their way to the Lord's house. That's, we, that's the pickup here. And look what happens next. The incident that none of them... Certainly not Peter and John could have anticipated, were anticipating, but the spirit of Jesus was about to move in a way in them, through them, to do something that was utterly incredible, that they did not see coming, no one saw it coming, and we get to read about it right here. Look what happens in verse 2. It says, there was a man, lame from birth, his name. We do not know his name. He was being carried, and he was laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, you know where that would be at the on the eastern side, near the court of the Gentiles, the temple. And he was there to ask alms of those entering the temple. He was lame from his birth. As he was crippled, apparently so damaged um, that he could not walk in his own strength. What had actually happened to him, we don't know. But like so many in the ancient world, there were no surgeries. There were no medical solutions. There was nothing, oftentimes, a mere accident or something that happened in the birthing process could leave a man or a woman crippled for their entire lives with no opportunity for anything other than that. And here's the situation we need to remember. There is no social security system. There's no state disability. There's no, in such a culture, family, and it's still true in many parts of the world, in such a culture, family is so huge. Like if you don't have family, you have nobody and nothing. I mean, the family and community, if, if, if someone, right, I mean, if someone had a disability and they did not have a, a family, then they were entirely dependent on the compassion, the generosity, and the benevolence of other people, neighbors, and strangers. Again, there are no ministries, there are no missions, there are no social services, there, are no, there is no such thing as government assist, there is nothing, nothing. 
And so this man is asking, he's doing the one thing he can do. He's got people at least who like him enough to carry him to the gate. He's got a spot. He's asking for alms. Spare some change. You got some change. It was a good spot. Temple gate, people's hearts were softer. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple. Remember, we got a divine appointment coming on right now, don't we? They're on their way to church. If I can use that language, to the temple. He's got himself at the post. He, he's got himself in this. I tried to imagine in my mind's eye, right? I see him right there. He probably was sitting in a different way, but I see him right there. Peter and John are walking by. Hey, blessings. He asked to receive alms. Can you give me something? Blessing to you, blessings to you. Right, right? That's the picture. And it says that Peter, look what it says. He made, so he makes contact with Peter and John, and he asks them, again, probably with his head down, his cup extended. And Peter, it says, verse 4, directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, and I think he felt, I think Peter and John felt compelled in the spirit. They said, he said, look at us, look at us. And the man did, and he looked. And he said, they said, look at us. Pay attention. And we could assume that he's thinking, oh, yes, you're about to give me something. And then the words that <laughs> says he fixes attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I think to his chagrin, uh, silver and gold have we none. Oh, we don't have any money. Right? And then before the man could say, what are you wasting my time for? We don't have any money. Look at us. We don't have any money. You don't have any money. Of all the people, they get too. But then Peter says this. But what we do have, such as I have, I give to you in the name and he takes his hand on the right hand. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I say to you, rise up and walk. Well, thanks a lot. <laughs> of all the guys in the world, I begin get sent two religious fanatics. But, for, but before he could reply to the idiotic command with a sharp, cynical retort, one of the men was grabbing his hand, and he took, verse 7, and he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately, and immediately, his feet, and it says his ankles, right? It just says, it says immediately, immediately, the feet and the ankles were made strong, like power shot through his body, and he could feel it. It was electric, and he was able to do what so many of us take for granted I, I can walk I can walk and then the next thing it says yeah, I, and he starts leaping and he says he, pra he starts praising God I can walk I got, I got it I, I, and then there's this moment right where he says I'm, I'm, I'm just elated in praise and he's jumping around you see the whole picture right it, it says it says he's leaping and, and again it says, he leaping up, verse 8, stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. 
And everybody was shocked. They didn't recognize him. Verse 10, and they said, isn't that the man that, who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms? And they were all filled with wonder and amazement. What is going on here? What has happened? That's the guy. And he's up here. He's walking in. God is so good. I can walk right. He's got strength. It's a miracle. It was amazing. What a moment. We're going to push into that moment next week even further. But there's a couple things I want to say about it. There is so much here for us. Because the lame man at the beautiful gate is a picture of the human condition. Incapacitated, lame. Incapacitated, lame from the womb. Eternity in our hearts, longing for more is what we are. But like this man, so unable to help ourselves. What is that? In Romans 5, there's this marvelous verse. It says this, but God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The older version of the older version, the classic version says, when we were without strength, Christ died for us. And did not someone say to us, look up, lift up your eyes, and in the name of Jesus, did not that word come to you? And in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, and that has made all the difference. Has not that word come to us as well? Just like that. You know, let me put this up there, that our rising in strength will always be connected to looking up in his name. Always. It will always be connected to looking up in his name. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Are there some, listen to me. Are there some areas in our lives right now where we feel powerless and beaten down, utterly defeated and broken, places where the Lord is calling us to look up in faith, in the direction of faith, and in the name of Jesus, to rise up and walk. You know, I, I say this because it may be in a relationship, and the Lord is saying to you, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It may be in an area of a unique trial in our life that is, is just weighing down on us, right? And we feel defeated by it and crippled. In the name of Jesus, look up, look up. In the name of Jesus, I say to you, rise up and walk. It may have to do with an issue of our past that will not let us go, haunts us and sticks with us and seeks to define us. It steals away our peace. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I say, rise up and walk. There may be an area of our present where we are sensing that it will not let us be. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There are going to be moments where we're going to have to just say, Lord, help me. In your name, I pray for strength to rise above this, this defining thing that's trying to get my life and make it what I don't want it to be. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Look, he wants, this is all put up, he wants to touch our life in such a way that we too rise up in joy-filled praise. He does. Of this I am convinced. You know what he wants to do? He wants to put a song in our heart. A song of praise, a song of God's goodness, a song of gratitude. Um, you know, not a, a, a passive, yeah, I believe in Jesus. No, no, uh, not disconnected from my emotions, something that's alive. Every now and then you've got to break out and say, I love you, Lord. You let me, you gave me strength in my life and you give it to me now and I pray for it. You know, this morning I, I was getting ready to go in the nine o'clock service and I was, I, I, had a, I had a hard week. 
I was getting ready to walk out here, and I had been feeling pressure on every side at a spiritual level, too. There was many things that were brewing. I got, I was feeling that heat, getting ready to walk out, just share a message in the Lord. I wanted everybody to be strengthened, all of you, to be strengthened in your life with God. And I got down, and I got down, and I got down on my knee, and I just said, Lord, I, I, I praise you. I welcome your power and your presence in my life. I ask you to be my front guard and my rear guard. Be on my right and be on my left. Protect me. Give me clarity of mind and understanding. Help me, Lord. Do not let me be defeated. Instead, let gratitude and joy rise up into my spirit. Lord, I choose to praise you. I choose to praise you. I rise, I will, with your help, I will rise up and I will walk. See, this is what God calls us into. And to not be defined by the things. Maybe you feel that. Maybe you're under pressure. Maybe your mind is flooded with things. Maybe there's a single issue that is weighing very heavily on us. Maybe it's something, a sin or a weight that hangs on us, and we have no power over it. But in the name of Jesus. There's times we just need to praise God. And, and you know why? Because one reason I'll praise him, because I was a spiritual beggar at the gate. And he healed me. <laughs> and now I'm alive. And I don't know how long I'm going to be alive on this side of eternity. But I'm alive. I want to be alive while I'm alive. Come on. We got a gift of life. Let's choose to honor the Lord with it. Don't get, let's not get stuck. I was saying, Lord, don't let me get stuck. Do not let me be defined by this stuff. Choose to praise you. Man set free. Man set free. Not perfect. Becoming on the mend better than what I was or could ever be without him. That's us. Uh, come on, you gotta, we got to sing on that one, right? you got to say, yeah, yeah, Lord, I love you. I thank you. You know, you put a song in my heart today, a song of praise. Hallelujah. That was a, that, you know what, that was a hymn I was thinking about. That was a hymn I, I remember my grandfather singing. I remember my grandfather's little church. I remember singing that. I remember that hymn from when I was a boy. You know, he set my feet on the rock to stay. He set my feet on the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock to stay. He put a song in my heart today, a song of praise. Hallelujah. I don't, I don't remember. No, no, that, that, that cannot get There's no way. My point is, I remember Somebody gave me a blessing. They sent it my way. Settled into my heart. Never left. He wants, last one. He wants our rising to inspire others to wonder. <laughs> yeah, amazed at the transformation that cannot be explained. What happened to that man? What happened to him? What happened? What is going on? You know what? That's what, the peop that's what God wants people to say about us. Some of you are destined to inspire wonder because people will see what got broke. What got broke in your life that was a generational wound or a curse and God has turned it around, healed you, and now you're about sending out spiritual generational blessing. Like that, what is that? That's the power of God at work in our lives. 
We understand that. He wants people to be amazed. The reality, he wants people to see the reality of his presence at work in our lives. He wants to see so that we are living out our faith in Jesus and, and inviting others into life with him to sound familiar. So that what we pass down is not a generational curse because what was done to me, I give it back to the next. No, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I send out generational blessing in its place in the power and in the name of Jesus. What I shoot forth in time, through time, in the name of the Lord, I shoot this arrow, the arrow of a generational blessing that will outlive us. It will outlive us. We send it through time. Not the curse passed down like a baton, a dysfunction from one generation to the next. No, the, the, the baton of blessing in the name of the Lord. Breaking what has been, starting something completely new. Blessing, passing it down. That's what we're called to do. Rise up and walk. And what is walking? Falling forward. I remind myself of that every time. Not every time, but a lot. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your promises and your words, which are true, and they have power at work in our lives, Lord, to dislodge things and to redefine things and to restart things. I am glorying, Lord, Jesus, in your ability and willingness to recreate things, that you are the restorer of the damaged place, and that you are the healer of the wound, and you are the giver of the blessing. And Lord, I pray that there would be an enlargement in our hearts, in our life with you, that we would realize that when we actually sign on with you, it's the greatest adventure a man or woman could ever undertake. It is the adventure of faith that lasts through a lifetime of growth and into the next life, which we cannot yet see, but believe on the basis of your promises, we will one day receive as well. I ask for your blessing over our closing time. I know I, I, I do pray for our, our church as a giving church. I ask that we would be a people committed, not just in word, but in deed, unto you, building our lives out of that cornerstone. And so wherever we choose to do this, Lord, I know a lot of us do it in different ways. I ask that you would be honored in it. But I pray that you would be with us through this closing song. Let what we've just shared sit with us for a bit. Be open to your promptings, your callings, your invitation to expansion and healing. This is what I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Amen.